Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. This is part 21, I believe. And we're going to finish up chapter 13 and then get into chapter 14 of Revelation. And so I want to say a prayer and do a little review and introduction. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us through this wonderful, well, this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. I pray, God, that you would speak to us, encourage us, Father, teach us. We'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now, just uh, going way back, the outline for the book of Revelation can be found in chapter 1. You may remember this. Verse 19, John is told to write down things he had seen, which was the risen Jesus and all of his splendor and majesty, and then things which are, and that would be found in chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. Those are epistles to the seven churches. And then things which will be, which begins in chapter 4 where John was caught up into the heavenly realm and where the, the, the candlestick, the menorah, which signifies the church, would be found at that time in heaven. So from chapter 4 on, we're dealing with things that take place after the rapture of the church. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls of judgment, which are coming right after chapter 14, those bowls of judgment They can't be released until after the rapture of the church. And so that's by way of some deep review. We'll have a little bit more review as we get into, let's start with chapter uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 5. We'll go 5 through 8. And he was given, this is the beast that uh, rose up uh, that we read about. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, which we've seen that before, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So here we see the Antichrist speaking blasphemy against God and his name. And I think the meaning, blasphemy, is obvious here. I mentioned it last time. It is to discredit God, like the serpent in the garden said to Eve and He said, hath God said? No, that's not what he meant. You won't die. You'll be as gods. That's the idea here. It's blasphemy, speaking against God. He also speaks against God's tabernacle. A tabernacle denotes a place of worship, uh, the meeting place of God and his people where heaven touches earth. And the devil hates that place. We see that now with, don't you understand your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? When the body of Christ comes together, this is a place of corporate worship and praise. And the devil hates that. The devil does all he can to stop us from worshiping the Lord. So here he speaks against the Word of God, the name of God, and the tabernacle. He speaks against those who dwell in heaven. Who are they? Well, you could say they're the saints that have already gone on and been raptured, you could say. Uh, It could also represent the holy angels of God. You can decide that for yourself. Verse 7 It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So who are these saints? Apparently these are 
the saints, those who are saved during the Great Tribulation. We've looked at that before. I believe there will be a great revival in the Great Tribulation. Tribulation saints, but but I just want to say this. I don't want to be part of it, right? I want to be looking over the mezzanine and saying, wow, they're having a revival. That's fantastic. Uh, but this seems to be the Tribulation uh, saints. And um, again, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, it's interesting to me because he says that uh, he made war with the saints, the Antichrist did, and overcame them. Didn't Jesus say, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? So, you know, what, what is this meaning here that the Antichrist will make war with the saints and overcome them? My take on this is that there have always been martyrs. But just because one lays their life down does not mean they lost. What, what it means is they kept the faith, which is a win. So if I live or if I die under Christ, I'm a winner, right? And so even in this tumultuous period, uh, the devil prevails in the sense that they may have laid their lives down, but with their faith intact, it's not a win for the devil. From a certain point of view, it looks like the devil's winning during the Great Tribulation. He's taking over the earth. He, his dream is coming true of world domination, world dominion. Look at verses 8 and 9. And who dwell on the earth will, all who dwell on the earth, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, the devil, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So Antichrist is after the worship that he hates when it's given to God. He wants it given to himself. He's after worship. That's why he hates the tabernacle of God. Remember at the temptation of Jesus, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow to me and worship me. He's after worship. So here we have the Antichrist uh, who is completely yielded to the authority of Satan. And all the world worships Satan through him. But it comes at a great price. If you worship the Antichrist or worship the devil through the Antichrist, then your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. So it's a high price to pay to appease the flesh and to yield to the peer pressure, to the pressure of the day. Apparently there's a lie. There is the lie. We see this in Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. There is the lie. And there's this pressure that's placed on the world to buy into this lie. And here we have folks who, who don't yield to that lie, don't bow the knee, and, and they pay a price for it. But on the other hand, there's those that do yield and worship Satan through the Antichrist. And again, there's a high price to pay when it comes to eternity. Verse 10, he who leads captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Well, what does that mean? I think it means don't be fooled. God is not mocked. What you sow, you shall also reap. And so those who sided with the Antichrist, captured and persecuted others, 
during the Great Tribulation will themselves go into captivity. And we'll see that later on in the book of Revelation. Really, Revelation uh, 14, as we get into that, is, is like a table of contents of what is coming at the end of the book. And there's a lot that is still uh, unfolding. So let, let's keep moving. Verse 11. Isn't this exciting? Are you with me? So verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So the first beast in 13 came out of the sea. Now we have another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Whereas the first beast is the Antichrist. This is his religious partner. His ecclesiastical counterpart is public relations spokesperson. Not only is he persuasive with words, but oddly enough, he's powerful in signs and wonders. We talked about this last time. You can't follow ministry simply based on signs and wonders. If you do that, you'll get in trouble. Signs follow believers. And faith comes by hearing the word. So if you walk in the word, signs will follow. But if you follow signs, you'll end up being a California Christian, right? Fruits, nuts, right? There's a lot of craziness with with signs and wonders. There's the real and the legitimate and there's the counterfeit. And that doesn't mean the counterfeit is not supernatural. It just means... It's illegal. I told you about, you know, the guy that said he dropped some acid and started speaking in tongues and asked me what I thought about it. I just told him, I said, that's illegal. Maybe you did speak in tongues. I don't know, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Like you opened your, you opened a door to a supernatural world out here that will bite your face off in the end. And so here we see where the false prophet is this beast. So it's like a, a dynamic duo. It's like Gemini, the twins. You've got the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they work in tandem. And, uh, uh, and, and it's a very powerful combination. So he's persuasive, he's powerful, this false prophet, with signs and wonders, but it's all done in the name of Satan. And he persecutes and destroys believers in Jesus. So that reminds me of Saul of Tarsus, who was zealous to hunt down, to seek and destroy Christians. And folks, we are so blessed to live in the United States of America because we have the freedom, at least right now, we have the freedom to worship without fear of jackbooted thugs walking in our back door and shutting us down. And most of the world has to wonder about the state in which they live Crashing their church parties. You know what I'm saying? We were just at because of the times, and it was powerful. One of the most powerful messages was a missionary that's been here. He's never done a service here, but he's been in our home, and Lizzie and Brendan were with him. He's over about seven countries, very, very, very closed countries. As a matter of fact, they couldn't put any of his name, uh, his name on any of the brochures or advertisements or social media. They ask everybody, you know, not to do that. You know, we had a missionary like that one here one time, and we pixelized his face on social media. Does anybody remember that? Like, it was so good to have an unnamed missionary in the house. 
pixelized face, you know, we couldn't mention who it was. But, but these guys work in countries where they can't talk about Jesus because they're in trouble of being hunted down and destroyed. Not, not just by rebels, but, but by the state. So, thank God we live in America. But we see where the, the Antichrist, the false prophet, we see where there is a murder, murderous spirit, persecuting spirit there. Make war against the saints and prevail. Won't take their faith. They may lay down their lives. Verse 12. We'll go through 14 here. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Whose deadly wound, we talked about that, was healed. He performed great signs so that he makes fire come down from heaven. We saw those two witnesses. You know, they had done that. So he's showing I can do the same thing. And he deceived those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of all of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Look at verses 15 through 18. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for he is the number, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I mentioned this last time. This is not a tattoo. And, and when I was a kid, you know, I always thought, you're going to get a tattoo on your forehead that said 666. Because I saw all those movies. It totally freaked me out. Never lived through that era. Like, you think Left Behind's, ooh, spooky. Well, you probably don't on camera. But, but, you know, you have no idea. They, these were like horror films they showed in our church about the Mark of the Beast. But I thought it would say 666. Then I thought it would be the UPC code. And, uh... You know, the universal products code. It, but it, I'm just telling you, the system that's coming, and it is coming, and, and it has to do with the economy, it's going to make sense. Right now, I guarantee you, you have a debit card or a credit card in your wallet or your purse. And probably you got upgraded. You no longer have a swipe, you have a chip. And they, and they want, you've got to put your card in there, you know. I was a late adopter, and I was always swiping. My cards would fall apart, you know. Now I'm chipped, so they, I stick it in there, you know. I'm late to pull it out. It's going, beep, beep, please pull your card out, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I was chasing a thought. Uh, and so you probably already have, you know, the precursor technology. Some of you have, the, you just bump your card. On one of those things. Some of you just use your phone, Apple Pay. Uh, just crazy that the way technology has. This was all written way, way before all of that. It was totally impossible when John wrote this, but it's totally feasible right here, right now. The end times, the last day started. 
with the incarnation. You know that. With the, not just the day of Pentecost, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, but with the time of the Messiah. So for two solid thousand years, we've been trucking along in the last days. And now the technology is in place that can make Revelation 13, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and a system whereby you can't buy or sell without. It's all feasible today. Cards, chips, technology. So let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked and behold a lamb. Who do you think that is? Don't all answer at the same time. It's not a trick question. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Jesus. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. So the lamb is Jesus. He's standing, this is weird, on earth at Mount Zion. Now, why is that weird? Well, this is the Temple Mount over in Jerusalem. And he's in heaven with his church. But here he is on the earth toward the end of the Great Tribulation. Now we saw 144,000 at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. We've seen them before. We've talked about them. Now we're at the end of the Great Tribulation. And Jesus is here on earth with them. Well, first of all, he's outside our time-space continuum. He walks through walls. Uh, he's super dimensional. He can be anywhere he wants to be. He can be everywhere he wants to be. So here he is on the earth at Mount Zion. And so back in chapter 7, verse 2, we read where another angel had a seal. And he sealed the people of God. I think I made a joke there and I said it wasn't a seal. I said, you know, it wasn't a seal. It was, it was a seal. Uh, it, seals were quite the thing back in the ancient day. Uh, a king or a property owner would use a seal to show ownership or authenticity. You know, you have the good housekeeping seal. You have that, that seal of authenticity, like this is an original, this is an authentic antique piece from such and such era. Notaries use seals today. And, and the seal denotes ownership, makes things official, protects from judgments, liens, legal impairments. And, and here the seal is the name of the Father. The authority of the Father standing before or standing behind the 144,000. And uh, I just think that's interesting. The name in the name is the authority. In the name is seal uh, is the seal. And uh, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, water baptism. We we water baptize the name of Jesus Christ. And man, we get all kind of grief about that from different organizations, denominations, people, whatever. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28:19, "Go and, and and preach the gospel everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And then here we are with the audacity to what people say, disobey the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And, and when I'm baptized, you've heard me say this, I'll baptize people and I'll say, in the name, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. At the same time, you deal with people from other, you know, that don't baptize that way, don't think it makes a hill of beans difference. And yet, I, I'll ask them, you know, when you're over in El Salvador, when you're in, when you're in Tanzania, uh, when, when you're dealing with demon-possessed people, do you cast out demons in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? And I say, well, no. What do you say when you're praying? I say, in the name of Jesus. And when you're praying for the sick, you say, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I, you know, be healed. And they'll say, no. What do you say? I say, in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's authority in that. And he said, all power, all authority, exousia is the word, has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now you go in my name. In my name. What name? What's the proper name? What's the proper name of the Father? Let me put it to you this way. I'm a Father. But my name, my proper name is not Father. Now my kids will call me Father sometimes. As a matter of fact, they like to call me Father. And I kind of dig it, you know? I'm like, Spiritus, Sanctus, you know, like... And I've had people call me Father Donovan. That's another story, right? But Father is not my name. And Son... Is not my name. I am a father. I'm a son. I have a father. You know, I have sons. But that's not my name. My name is Donovan. I don't go to the bank and, and access all my tens and hundreds of dollars by signing father. They would give me my check back. No, we can't do that. That's not your name. My name is Donovan. The authority is in my name. And there is a name, y'all. And, and if, if anybody thinks, well, you're crazy, you're presumptuous, I've told you before, you don't know if I know what I'm talking about, and I don't know if you know what you're talking about. But I know 12 men who did know what they were talking about, and that's those apostles. And I tell you what, if they went and disobeyed Jesus, then we can't follow them at all. But if they did go and obey Jesus, and they did baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, then if I'm not doing what they did, I'm the one disobeying what Jesus said to do. So I got really quiet in here. So I try to match that apostolic hamper because you don't know if I know what I'm talking about. And I don't know if you know what you're talking about, but those 12, Jesus opened their understanding. There's no Bible that says He opened my understanding. I could be a nut job. I could be a whack job. I could be out of my mind. But those 12 weren't out of their mind. So I know what they preached. I know what they practiced. It's found in the Acts of the Apostles. And so they baptized in the name of Jesus because the authority is in that name. That's why we baptized Greg and Angela. You know, Greg came up to this front crying. He said, Pastor, I need to be baptized. You know what he said when he walked up here? He said, Pastor, you got to baptize me now. In the name of Jesus. Crying. Holy Spirit, conviction, power, man. And so that's why we baptize folks. 
And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, let me just tell you this. You need to be. It's a big deal. You need to be. And we'll be happy to accommodate. In Ezekiel 9.4, a similar protective seal was given to the righteous before Jerusalem was judged. This seal in Ezekiel 9. The servants of our God, we see 144,000 sealed for a purpose. We see other folks sealed. Jesus said, the Father has a seal on me. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the down payment or the earnest money, technically, uh, of our total redemption. God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. The sealing of the Holy Spirit belongs to every believer. Uh, ha- having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1, 13. The Holy Spirit sealing is to be a comfort and a challenge to us. We are comforted. In that that seal assures us that we belong to Him. We're challenged to depart from evil. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Ephesians or Second Timothy two nineteen. Uh, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Ephesians four thirty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So, so these 144,000 are, are Jews who came to faith in the beginning of the Great Tribulation. We're not told how they came to faith. We're just told that they came to faith. We'll talk about them a little bit more. And, and some say it's similar to the Old Testament way of salvation uh, because the rapture's already taken place. But it, I believe it has to. There's no more sacrifices. I think it's through Jesus um, putting their trust in Him. We don't have all the details post-rapture, but uh, I, I guarantee it's by faith and uh, through gra- uh, by faith and through grace. Uh, verses four through eight. Are you with me? Uh, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred forty-four thousand. All the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The tribe of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed. The tribe of Reuben. Uh, and, and I see. I think. Am I? Uh, I'm lost, lost myself here. Am I? I don't know if I'm in four. Am I fourteen? I'm not in fourteen. Am I? No, no. no I'm, I'm still over there in seven. I think. Uh, I won't. I won't read all that. Uh, remember, Dan. The tribe of Dan was missing. Over in, in yeah. I'm sorry, Dan. They were missing in 144,000. You you guys were left out, man. It was sad. We saw where the, the tribe of Gad is included. Uh, I believe it's over in Ezekiel uh, with the millennial reign of Christ. So uh, you guys got right eventually. Finally showed up. Better late than never, Dan. And, and they become evangelists, these 144,000. So back in chapter 14, the Lamb has these 144,000 Jewish commandos with them. So you have the Lamb on Mount Zion, these 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And, and now we're at the end of the Great Tribulation. We were introduced to them at the beginning. Here's my point. This is cool. Notice how many there are. There's 144,000. The Great Tribulation, the devil's throwing everything he has 
at the world. The whole earth is freaking out following the beast, the Antichrist. Man, it's, it's this mean machine just steamrolling over the earth. The devil's going crazy, man, just in great fury. And he started with 144,000, the Lord, that is, at the beginning, and he still has 144,000. Not 138,239, we lost a few along the way. Not 139,999. He's not lost one. And he never does. Jesus prayed that high priestly prayer in John 17. In verse 12 he said, Those whom you gave me I have kept and none of them is lost. He said in John 10, 27-29, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I want to tell you something. If you're a believer in this house today, if you're in that covenant with Almighty God, you are in the grip of grace. And and it's hard. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot get out of that grip of grace. I believe that so strongly. People accuse me of believing in, you know, once saved, always saved, unconditional eternal security. And I am not a believer in that. But I don't believe in, in that turnstile salvation. Where like if I, every time I make a mistake, I'm lost. I used to think that as a kid. I thought every time I made a mistake... God hated me and I had to repent. I told you all that. I had this obsession. I was a weird kid. So I'd make a mistake. And I'd be like, forgive me, forgive me, Lord. Because if I didn't say forgive me, Lord, I was going to hell like a bullet at the rapture sound. And I told you all before. Many times I thought the rapture sounded and I was left behind. And so I was always saying, forgive me, Lord. You know, forgive, forgive me, Lord. I think a bad thought. Forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. I was just constantly... I came to realize later I did things wrong that I didn't even know were wrong. So how could I be saved if I was doing wrong things and I didn't even know I was so bad I didn't even know they were wrong? I'll tell you why. Because I was trusting in the Lord for my salvation. When, when I first came in, I had nothing to offer. I just said, God, I need you. And He reached out and grabbed me. And even after I started serving him, when I made mistakes, it was the same. He was saying, I love you. I'm not letting you go. You can walk away if you want. But even that is a tough proposition. Can I get an amen? amen. You ever tried to walk away from him? Look, look at Greg. I hate to mention him again, but 20 years, he said, here's the line. You stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. And what did Jesus do? He kept trespassing. Hey, bud. I don't want anything. Hey, bud, get out of my face. I don't want... Finally, here I am. And he said, oh, man, I'm coming back. Right? It just, it's, it's a matter of the grip of grace. He started with 144,000. He ended with 144,000. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how dark your world is. I don't care what hell brings against you. If you want to serve God, you can serve God in the darkest of the night. That's right. 
You can serve God in the most extreme circumstances with pressure and temptation and, and evil surroundings. If you want to keep, if you just keep your, your trust in the Lord, He will hold on to you and you will come through on the other side. These are they which have come out of great tribulation who put their trust in the blood of the Lamb. The grip of grace is very, very powerful. He's able to save you, keep you all the way. Philippians 1.6, be confident in this. He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 2 Timothy 1.12, he's able to keep that which I committed against that day. And notice, they have their father's name on their foreheads. Later, the Antichrist will cause people to receive a mark too. He's a copycat that... You know, we saw that the, the, in chapter 13, the, the, the copycat thing. He, he wants to put a mark on people. Uh, the next verses provide insight, insight to what's coming in the rest of the book. It's a table of contents. Look at verses 2 through 5. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Say harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures. And the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Notice hearts. Let's just start right there. Hearts. I heard a voice from heaven, the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder, and the sound of harpists playing harps. I'm just going to tell you something. Harps don't thunder. These are obviously guitars. <laughs> I think the Greek is loud, distorted, scorching hot electric guitars. <laughs> Now, notice their lifestyle, it was pure. And of course, while I think that that's manifest in the natural, I, I think it's speaking of purity when it comes to idolatry. Because over and over throughout the Bible, idolatry is, is presented as a, a, a type of fornication. That's how it's, 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 it's described, uh, the unfaithfulness of God's people when they go after idols. And so I think this is speaking of them, these 144,000, not bowing to the image of the beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet, but remaining pure. And it's, it's, it's really, as we're going to go into Daniel in our next series, there, there's a, a parallel, and prophecy is not always about foretelling the future it's 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 a painted picture that that has significance for many different times and places and and there's a picture painted of a similar scenario in Daniel chapter 3 with the three Hebrew children Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and and Nebuchadnezzar lost his ever loving mind and built a 90 foot golden statue of himself and was was Forcing everybody when the music played to bow the knee. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, we will remain pure. 
and we will not bow the knee to that image. Now, in that story, you know who's like just obviously missing, absent? Huh? No, no, no. Not, not there yet. But you got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Where's Daniel? So is Daniel bowing before the image? No. No, he, he's the guy that prayed, opened his windows when he was told not to pray. So where's Daniel in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're the only three that didn't bow. So where's Daniel? I don't know, right? But probably because he was an ambassador, he was sent on a diplomatic mission by Nebuchadnezzar. So he's probably in another country, another place, wheeling and dealing for Nebuchadnezzar. He's out of place, which is probably when Daniel was out of town, when the enemies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel stood up and gave Nebuchadnezzar this stupid idea, and he ran with it. He was just dumb. He ran with it, okay? And so he erects this statue, and they bow. The, they don't bow the knee, and everybody else does. So Daniel's gone at the beckoning of the king and they choose to stay pure which is such a picture the church is gone at the beckoning of the king come up higher Daniel the church is in heaven and the, the children of Israel uh, the three Hebrew children are representative of the 144,000 Jews Israelites still on the earth but refusing to bow the knee so they have a purity are you with me? Church has been called to another place. I believe the church is represented by, by the elders in this passage. And we looked at that back in 4-2. Uh, the 24 elders and, and, uh, and how that you know, you've got 12 uh, tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. They're wearing white robes. They're representative of all the saved that are in, in heaven. Uh, wearing crowns, Stefano's crowns. Crowns of reward. Um, so, oh, let me just get through this. I've got a lot of notes. Uh, let, let's go ahead and go to verse number six. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And we'll talk about this next time. There are quite a few Gospels. Quoted. There's only one Gospel. Okay, don't get me wrong. Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but but there are times when there was good news announced. That's gospel. Good news like, uh, for unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, the, the shepherds were told the good news. And there's several, uh, the, the word for gospel is used several times. There's several times that it's used. And here's one of them. Here's what I think is fascinating to me. The connection between fearing God, giving glory to Him, dealing with the Antichrist and the, the idolatry that's taken over the earth and the connection with all of that and God who created 
who made heaven and earth, sea and spring of water. In other words, there's a connection here. There's a connection right here where the angel is saying, remember the Creator. Like today, we say, well, it all just happened. You know, we live on this little blue marble, little blueberry. We, we go around a ball of fire. We're suspended on nothing. The expanse of the universe, and, and yet here we are, sentient, conscious, and we're to believe that this just happened? This is the Big Bang? This is, there's no intelligence, no designer behind the design? No consciousness that made all of this? And what about that artistic drive inside of us, that spirituality, that creativeness? Where did that come from? Where's that drive? Where's that seeking? Where does that come from? That's just chemicals? Are you kidding me? And yet that's what we're told to believe when the reality is open your eyes, look at the expanse. The heavens, even the heavens declare your glory. I mean, there's in, in, in Romans chapter 1, the, the creation teaches us of His divine power and Godhead, you know? It's the idea of creation kind of bringing humanity back. Take a look around. Stay with me right now. In other words, I love the way Teclamarian put it years ago. Teclamarian, we were privileged to meet him and have a little bit of interaction with him, but he was a guy that Bug had known a Freeman one to the Lord. Missionaries to Africa many, many years ago. And they won Teclamarian and his family. Uh, and and, and Teclamarian became on fire. Millions of Ethiopians served the Lord today as a result of Teclamarian's ministry. Powerful man. And Tecle was preaching in a village one, one day and he preached uh, Jesus to these, these people who worshipped other things. And the people said, uh, you know, we'll think about all this. And Tecla kind of leaves, goes to the outskirts of the village and he leans up against a tree. And uh, the village people all came out and they said, we're going we're gonna to kill you. We're going to kill you. You've desecrated the sacred oak. He's like, what? They, and they, they come out with a bottle of oil and they grease up this tree. And they're like, this is a God to us. And they said, we're going to have to kill you. You've desecrated the sacred oak. You have to die. He's a new Christian, you know, just on fire for God. And Tecla says, quickly, you know, <laughs> Lord help me. <laughs> and he said that he, he, he just, they were simple people. He said, I have a question for you. He said, what's bigger, your oak or the mountain? And they said, the mountain. He said, what's bigger, the mountain or the sky? He said, the sky. He said, what's bigger, the sky or the God who made the sky? They said, the God who made the sky. He said, that's my God. And because of that simple reasoning, they kind of backed down. And he was able to talk to them more about Jesus. Talk to them about his God who made everything. And here we are at the end of time. And the angel is saying, the one who made everything, he is the truly living God. 
It all goes back to that. It's not, you don't have to get, and I'm not against getting deep into theology. It, you, you, you just, you don't have to put on your snorkel and dive down deep. It's very simple. There is a God. You're not that God. He created the heavens and the earth. You better bow the knee and ask Him to reveal Himself to you. That's it. Just gets that simple, right? And He condescended and became a human being. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ's body. So when you see Jesus, you see God, right? And so just it's just a simple trust. And the angel goes back to creation. Can you just raise your hands with me right now? And thank Him that you know Him to the extent that you do. Father, I thank You so much. I certainly don't have all the answers, but God, I got a few. And I know the one who has all the answers. God, it's, it's with humility, gratefulness, God, that I acknowledge the revelation that You've poured into our hearts, God. We rejoice in that, Lord. The whole world needs to know. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.